Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. So, uh, we've had a female on the show, we've had a Brit on the show, and now we have a female Brit on the show. Uh, joining us today is Rachel Sumner, a very close friend of mine who hails from the UK, and she's a very passionate music fan as well. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brent. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So, I, Rachel, I really like what you've done with the idea of, uh, of your song selection here. So can you tell us a little bit about you know, what we're going to be looking at today in terms of, uh, of the gathering of your songs? Yeah, of course. And knowing me as you do, you'll know that when you asked me, invited me to be part of this, I spent a lot of time thinking about, well, what could I offer to your listeners that might be of interest to them? And you've been pointed out already, being a woman and a Brit, both of which are undeniable. Um, I was thinking about, you know, maybe that's something that could uh, help shape what I share today. And thinking about your point about skin that makes your uh, music that makes your skin vibrate, I was thinking about um, the songs that, you know, have helped me over the years and suddenly made me think of something that someone really special to me had said that somewhat surprised me mm-hmm. probably about year and a half ago actually in reference to something else british a film called love actually yeah yeah and they had really surprised me by saying that they felt that that film that movie was really underrated and that coming from that person was a bit of a surprise and and so i was thinking about that and the reason why that came to mind was because one of the characters in the movie played by emma thompson who was okay. one of my favorite female british actresses um she actually makes my reference to Joni Mitchell. Ah. And the reason she makes reference to Joni Mitchell is in the movie, her um, her character is married to an American guy and he introduces her to Joni Mitchell when they're dating. Really? And in the movie, she says to him, after the many years of marriage, two kids, etc., that Joni was um, basically an inspiration. And I think her actual words are something like, Joni was the one who taught his cold English wife how to feel. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And that really resonated with me, that that statement, because she, probably that character is a generation older than I am. Yeah. But when I was thinking about that and the impact that Joni Mitchell had had upon that character, Karen, mm-hmm. I was thinking, that's quite different from the England that I knew in the sense of I had many female lyricists, songwriters in my formative years who kind of taught me how to feel. Yeah. Whereas for that character in that movie, she didn't have that. So that got me thinking about, you know, what has been the story of kind of British female lyricists, songwriters over the last couple of decades. Um, And then those that have taught us as British women in our formative years and thereafter how to feel yeah so that's kind of how i came at it is that Th- that's fantastic yeah. i think it's a great concept okay so now i have to before you go on yeah, are, you, are you are you a Joni mitchell fan you know that i am yeah yeah i am um for somebody from europe Joni has a, a different level of, of of kind of connection and resonance i think really there's a very north american feel to her music very much so um but yes who, who wouldn't love Joni Mitchell? I mean, I would struggle to be friends with them if they didn't like <laughs> Joni Mitchell, quite honestly. But, but, but I was thinking back to that generation above mine and what there was in terms of female artists. And it's almost embarrassing. When I was looking back and researching women of that kind of Joni Mitchell era in the UK, mm-hmm. There was not a lot of depth to it, it's got to be said. Not a lot of um, true emotion, a lot of fluff and nonsense and female artists being packaged by looks and and kind of trivial stuff. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that's not very eloquent, but but we didn't have a Joni Mitchell, really. I mean, I'm sure there are going to be others, some of your listeners are saying, oh, for God's sake, we did, it was X. But for me, I couldn't come up with anybody that I felt really had the depth and mm. the eloquence and the musicality of Mitchell mm-hmm. in the UK in the same period. But then you come forward a generation to my generation, yep. and I think we had a number of of women emerging in the kind of you know eighties, early nineties, um, 
that really taught us how to feel. Mm-hmm. And what I've done with my list for you today is looked at the ones that really influenced me around that time, my kind of what I call my formative years, but then also come a little bit further and I'm quite up to date really in terms of now the kind of female British female lyricist songwriters that you know my daughter's generation are listening to and how and it how it's I think it's changing in terms of how it's teaching them how to feel right perfect I love that you've done this that's great so let's jump right into your list then so you've got the first song that you've got here is uh, is called a new England yeah by Christy McCall yeah Christy McCall so who is actually a Scot (laughs) we have to say that for my for our Scottish listeners let's be absolutely (laughs) upfront about that um Sadly, we lost Kirsty a number of years ago now in a in a tragic accident. But she was an incredible singer songwriter. Um, the story for me around New England, how I really connected with it, was one of is <laughs> a classic kind of English um, music class story where I still remember it to this day. In probably about in North American terms, grade seven, maybe grade eight. Okay. Um, being asked in music class to redesign an, a single cover or an album cover. That dates me even saying single cover, that's doesn't a, it? That's a great project. It was a great project. And and Kirsty McColl had just released in New England, which is actually a cover of a Billy Bragg song that he had released the year before. I was going to ask you about that, yes. actually. So that I love a, Billy Bragg, too. Yeah, yeah. So, so And they were great friends. And in fact, he actually plays New England now when he tours in tribute to Kirsty and actually offers up her cover of oh, it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, so she was, the, it was that single that I chose to redesign for oh, wow. my music class. I think I got a fairly good grade. I'm yeah. not sure. I can't remember exactly. But but of course, I listened to it over and over again for inspiration. Sure. And the reason I chose to kind of have this one first on my list is not only because I'm trying to go in some kind of chronological order here, but also because it was, to me in probably like my early teens, the first track that I'd heard from a female singer-songwriter, which felt very honest. Mm -hmm. When you listen to the song, there's no... Formula? Yeah, there's no formula. There's no fluff and nonsense. It's a very literal um, story of the realities of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was quite a departure by female singer-songwriters, quite honestly. And granted, it was a Billy Bragg cover, but even the fact she chose to take it on, you know, when you look at the music that came from, as as we were saying earlier, from earlier female singer-songwriters in Britain, a lot of it was very trivialised. Yeah. You know, there was not a lot of honesty in the lyrics and the music itself. And so I think even at the young age that I was, I really connected with that. Yeah. And even... In terms of who she was as a woman, she had not, she wasn't pandering to the machine at that point. You know, she was very much herself. You know, when you looked at her style of dress, um, how she chose to present herself, how she even chose to speak, you know, that that she hadn't been manufactured. And I think there was a real authenticity about that that I liked a huge amount at that age. Yeah. And she was one of the first. Yeah, she was. She really was. And I think for me, you know, in those formative years where you're trying to figure out who you are, you're looking for role models. Absolutely. And that's really a cornerstone of of what music means to you as a kid at that time. Truly, truly. And I think, you know, when you look at who, you know, who I've got on my, my list today a lot of that was I was trying to figure out who I was by looking for role models and, Absolutely. and I didn't and I wasn't looking for manufactured women I was looking for authentic women who were presenting themselves through their love for music and and, and telling stories in a really authentic way yeah excellent I think that's fantastic yeah yeah so that that is the first on my list okay very good so next on your list, we mm. have uh, Love Letters by yeah. Alison Moyet. Yeah. Alison Moyet is an enigma to me. I, I honestly think she is, she was the Adele of my generation. Yeah, yeah. She never, sadly, got the recognition that Adele has received in the last decade. Um, but she, her, the power of her voice, her lyrics, 
Um, and once again, I mean, this is this is a cover in and of itself. Um, it's a ninety-five, actually a nineteen forty-five song, "Love Letters." But she again was a was a woman who wasn't scared to be herself. Mm-hmm. She presented herself, you know, in in music videos very much just as she was. Um, she didn't. I th- I'm sure there was some manufacturing going on, but again, very real and and. The thing about love letters, not only the lyrics that I enjoy, but the music video for it actually included as well two very um, loved English comedians, mm. French and Saunders, Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders, okay. who are almost parodying what's going on in oh, the really? song as she's singing it. And she's singing it in the music video with real heart. And around her, there, there's this um, parody of an of an British home life at okay. the time, which is, and I think that really resonated with me. Was that you know that looked very normal? I mean, it was you know a parody, so it was there was humour to it, but it looked very normal. But in the middle of it was this young woman trying to make sense of love and relationships mm-hmm. and really pouring her heart out. Yeah. But there's a lovely bit towards the end of the music video where she, she can't help but giggle at the fact that French and Saunders are doing this parody around her. And so right. she kind of breaks out of character, actually. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just a great, it's a great track, great lyrics. And again, she was just one of these women who was willing to say, I'm going to be myself and then let the music and my... my um, vocal skills speak mm. for themselves i don't need to be prettified or no manufactured in any way for this to be you know to to impact people make them feel yeah you know i remember um she i think she was in yaz before that or mm-hmm. yes so actually that's a question so she's in yaz upstairs yes. at eric's a great record yeah. um but it, is it yaz or is it yazoo or was it both I think it was both. That's a good question. It's kind of weird, right? Because sometimes you see Yazoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on that record upstairs at Eric's, it's Yaz. Oh. Yeah. But she, she, you know, after that, um, I remember Invisible, and I think yes. the record was Alf in like yes. 1984 yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, big single. But to your point, like she never tried to kind of, you know, pretty herself up and, and subscribe to that. You know, kind of Madonna formula, yeah, which was super popular around that time. Yeah, it and was. She, she had that very kind of distinct contralto, uh, almost a brogue. Yes. Right. Yes. I thought she was great. Yeah, and it it makes me think of some of the you know the more recent female artists who again have sort of rallied against the manufacturing of their aesthetic their look their music i'm thinking about pink now you know and yes. her actually in lyrical form saying you know i don't want to be that you know i want to let my music speak for itself i want to be authentic you know and yeah. i think this generation of of young women in the uk truly were living that and, and mm-hmm. for me that was hugely powerful because yes at the time you know you're being fed all of the the pop and the manufactured stuff you know kylie was big and madonna was big you know and it was all very very manufactured yeah and that just that just didn't interest me in any way shape or form they were no role models that i wanted to look up to yeah so yeah alison my love affair with her started way back then and thinking back to christy mccall i just remember that i think she was the woman who was in a fairy tale in New York. Yeah, she did exactly. With the Pogues, with the Pogues. Right? yeah, exactly. It's one of my favorite Christmas tracks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Yeah, yeah. That just occurred to me. Yeah, and again, you know, when you think about the lyrics of that song, yes. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, a real relationship. Cut through. Totally, right? totally. You know, <laughs> there's there's no pretense around no. that at all. No. Um, and, and that's just who she was. Yeah. I think that's why people loved her so much. Yeah. And that's, uh, forgive me, you know, as a Brit, and a, full disclosure, an English Brit, <laughs> and she was a Scot, as I said, you know, that's the one of the things I adore about the Scots. There is no messing with them. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to date your podcast, but, you know, it was St. Patrick's Day yesterday, and I saw a great meme about, you know, everybody in the world, you know, it becomes a little Irish on St. Patrick's Day. Apart from the Scots, <laughs> they are still Scots on St Patrick's Day, and it just made me smile because that's exactly true, you know. And she's the perfect, um, she's the epitome of that, quite honestly, through her music and just the way she lived her life. Yeah. 
So next up, Rachel, we have uh, When We Are Together by Charlene Spiteri, who I believe yeah. is the lead vocalist of Texas. Actually, before we do that, could we go to Eddie Reader? We absolutely can. Should we try that again? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, that was my mistake, actually. Your next song was Patience of Angels, Eddie Reader. Oops. Yeah. No, don't worry. And again, another Scott. Yeah. So there's a pattern here for me. There's an authenticity about female Scottish singer-songwriters, clearly. I mean, Alison Moy that we were just talking about was very English, but certainly we started with Kirsty McCall and now we're on to Eddie Reader. And again, Eddie was another one of these who, who quite honestly just defied the laws of manufactured music at that time. You know, it just, you know, you'd look at her image even. Um, very, very grounded, very um, just honest, I think. Yeah. And Patience of Angels is just a beautiful beautiful track and it was her first single released in 1994 just again when i think about what english british forgive me eddie singer songwriters were trying to do around that time just talking honestly about relationships Mm -hmm. you know and and the pain of them the good the bad and the ugly so there was not this kind of gloss of love that kind of happened in the 50s and the 60s you know of it all being you know, butterflies and unicorns and happy times. But, you know, when you look at the lyrics of Patience of Angels, you know, it's truly sad. Mm. It's truly, truly sad, you know, and very simple lyrically. But the way she just sings it from her heart, I just remember, to your point about, you know, music that makes your skin vibrate. Mm -hmm. I I literally remember kind of the hairs on my arms standing up the first time I heard it. Um, And there's, sadly... Very little examples of her singing it live available um, anymore. But there's one strange one available online, which I think is on some kind of bizarre Spanish <laughs> talk show. I can't even describe it any other way. It's quite strange. But it's just literally her and like her four piece band. And she's just singing it almost, you know, it's just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. It still touches me now, you know. <laughs> years later it's um <laughs> it's still just one of those tracks and she went on to become part of a band called fairground attraction yeah which i also really really loved in the uk in the 90s um one of theirs is perfect and that's another another great track that uh, you know i listened to many many times but this is pure eddie patience mm. of angels and uh yeah i said that Made me very interested in listening to that song, actually. Yeah. I look for that music quite a lot, so well done. And then we have got When We Are Together with Charlene Spiteri. Yeah. The Scottish theme continues. I'm beginning to to feel the need to apologise to my English heritage. but (laughs) Charlene and I, yeah, I just adore her. I saw um, Texas live supporting Simple Minds. Cardiff Arms Park. Yeah, you told me about yeah, that. Yeah, in 90, I think it was 89. I should have validated that. I think it was 89. Um, so I was mid to late teens. The strange thing is, I remember more about her in Texas than I remember about Simple Minds performing then. Mm-hmm. Really? And, and the reason why is because at that point, they really hadn't broken through. Right. And I think Simple Minds were just doing a favour for their Scottish pals, you know, and bringing them on tour together. And Yeah. Cardiff Arms Park is a huge rugby um, stadium, you know, really, really huge. I, it must, I goodness knows what it seats, but it's it's a large stadium. And Charlene Spiteri must be five foot two if she's if she's that, you know, yeah. and she's tiny. And I remember them coming on stage, and it looked like her guitar was bigger than she was, <laughs> and just this huge voice yeah. suddenly emerging, and then the sadness, quite honestly, of the fact the lack of respect for her from the people at the front of the crowd who were literally throwing objects on stage at her and at the band. And in this amazing Scottish brogue, very politely to start with, she's trying to get them to stop. So she was literally stopping what they were playing and kind of asking the audience essentially to, to stop abusing her band. 
unfortunately it continued and then her politeness diminished <laughs> and i can't say it for your pod to protect your podcast but there was there were some choice scottish words that came out of her mouth that day and i remember having nothing but respect for her that yeah. she stood up for herself this diminutive tiny scottish woman on this huge stage yeah. being asked to support simple minds and in the end she just turned to her band and just said we're out of here. And they literally walked oh, off. Oh, did they? Yeah, they really? literally walked off. Oh, wow. And I remember thinking, I don't know, I, I, I just had just so much respect for her. And yeah. in fact, as you know, when you asked me to do this, um, I had come up with an initial playlist and then I reached out to some friends of mine on Facebook or just to my Facebook network, which obviously um, includes a lot of friends of a similar age that kind of, you know, we're, we're enjoying music around the same time and ask them for any contributions they would care to make. Yeah. And one of my good friends actually said that she'd recently read um, a review of a Texas album, their White on Blonde album, which was actually released later. Mm -hmm. um, but if I may, I'd like to share something from yes, that please. review because the writer of it absolutely nailed it for me in terms of Charlene Spiteri. Mm-hmm. And uh, I should give credit to them. So it comes from Vix Layton writing in Standard Issue in February of this year, 2017. Um, as I said, reviewing White on Blonde. But but our quote, well, our quote, if I may, because I, I couldn't do it justice. But of she course. says, Charlene Spiteri's indiness and mild androgyny fascinated me as a teenager. I couldn't decide if I wanted to be her, know her or go out with her. And used to muse edgingly and daringly for the time to my friends that she made me feel somewhat confused. <laughs> and I just loved that because that's exactly how I felt yeah. about her. I didn't know if I wanted to be her, know her, go out with her. I just, I wanted to be close to her somehow. And her music was a way of doing that. But because again, she was a young British woman who was saying, you don't need to manufacture me. Mm -hmm. My musicality, my lyrics, they stand alone. You know, you don't need to um, make me anything other than I am. And, and as I say, having seen her deal with a really quite serious situation yeah. at Cardiff Arms Park, supporting Simple Minds in the way she did, I, I, I really did want to be her, know her or go out with her. So... Yeah, when Vic, I read this um, review that Vix had written, I thought, oh my God, it wasn't just me then. It was <laughs> others too. You know, and there, and again, then began my love affair with Texas and I must have seen them and her live, God, at least a dozen times over really? the years. Um, yeah. So, um, so so, tell me a little bit about Texas. I And as a Canadian. Yeah. Um, you know, and you and I were talking about the Tragically Hip. Yes. Massive. Yes. Uh, Canadian band and, and household name, but for somebody outside Canada, no idea, no idea, yeah, in the UK particularly, yeah. Um, but it, it, in reverse, yeah. Texas was 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 that way. Yes, probably. I mean, I, I mean, have as I've come to know the hip. Look at me with the hip. The, the hip, not the track. Um, I like that. I would. I don't know whether I could say that Texas were as big as the hip, or meant as much to the UK mm -hmm. as the hip means to Canada. I wouldn't equate the two, quite honestly. Really? The hip are Canada's band. Texas is not the UK's band. Okay. Does that make sense? It, it, yeah. it does, because the hip is very nationalistic in the sense right. that they include, you know, pieces of heritage and lyrics, mm -hmm. and they'll write about small towns and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I guess Texas, you know, just didn't do that. But um, it's interesting, though, you know, and, and just to, as a Canadian, to... to to hear about a band like Texas that was huge in, in the UK mm -hmm. that I never would have known about, yeah. perhaps. Didn't make it out, really. I don't know whether they ever made it big anywhere else. You know, you get these bands or singers that make it in random places like, yeah. you know, Norway. No offence, Norway. But, you know, <laughs> it's just, how does that happen? How does a, does a band or a singer suddenly get a following in a, in a random European country that, that doesn't then translate across the rest of Europe? I've never quite understood that. That's a peculiar thing. That was like that guy Sugar Man. You ever seen Sugar Man? No. So he was a guy from the U.S. and um, 
I can't remember his name. It's terrible. But anyway, he, uh, Rodriguez. Okay. It was just Rodriguez. Right. And he worked construction, but he was a musician. He recorded, you know, a couple records that did nothing in North America. Yeah. And somebody got a hold of it in South America and it just exploded. And literally, people were, you know, I, got, I, I don't know the, the technicalities of how somebody reproduced the record or whatever, but apparently he was a massive Seriously? celebrity. Huh. And he had no idea what? at the time. So he went back to, after his little, you know, his little thing was over, he yeah. worked construction, lived in like a very small, you know, very humble home. Yeah. And meanwhile, in another continent, he was a rock star. <laughs> That's hilarious. But he, somebody, you know, later tracked him down and told him years and years and years later. So where was his management? Well, where, where while all this was going I mean, everybody on, everybody just kind of folded up the tents, right? And 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 while he was, because they, <laughs> they gave, could they have gave had a, this whole another life. Yeah. No. Exactly. And that's that's the the the, the really interesting thing, and and the the entertainment behind watching this documentary. Somebody actually found him later on and tapped him on the shoulder and said, "Hey, by the way," <laughs> and so. <laughs> The the, the, the the catharsis is that he actually went down right. to South America and played a show, and played a concert, like a festival. He lived his other life. Of like 60,000 people, and they were all, you know, like cheering him on. That's crazy. And, he was and a yet he worked shirt. construction, and no offense, yeah. because of, of, you know, a noble tr- profession. But, but just pick and shovel lifestyle. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But then let's, let's face it, the Hof is big in Germany. It, well, Go it, figure that. Exactly. Right? It's just bizarre. And it's totally bizarre. Rush. Yes. In in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. huge yeah. before they, you know, did Made it anywhere else. Yeah, I know, so I know. This is these random, random, random things. And yeah. I don't think we can equate Texas quite in that way because <laughs> they had their day in, in Britain and maybe elsewhere that I'm sadly unaware of. But, but yeah, for me, Charlene, yeah, still to this day, um, one of those women that I just idolise really in terms of her strength. Yeah, awesome. Uh, next up, we have uh, Gabrielle in a song called Dreams. Yeah, another fascination by just with a strong woman who, powerful voice, um, again, didn't pander to the machine. She actually, um, in terms of her look, her aesthetic, mm-hmm. suffered with um, an eye condition. And so she always wore an eye patch. Really? Yeah. And, and you know, they, you look at people and, and sadly, the first thought is always, oh, that's just for effect. You know, like Jackson with his glove or... Go on, you've got an idea. So sorry, is, uh, this I, I gotta get this out. <laughs> so we did recently a hip hop episode, right, with my buddy Kent Bailey, right, and he talked about a guy named Slick Rick, okay, who also had an eye patch. Okay. And my first question, Rachel, was, yeah, did Slick Rick need the eye patch, right. or was it for right, effect, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But he actually, I guess when he was a kid, he had like an accident. He actually right. did need it. But, right. And similarly, but, Gabrielle did too, because yeah. she had an eye condition. Um, for me, again, it was that moment of listening to somebody sing so beautifully, put herself out there, communicate from the heart. And then when you look at her, you think she's not conforming. Mm-hmm. She's not allowing... Um, you know, the standard model of beauty or female beauty to hold her back. I mean, she was in, she is an incredibly beautiful woman, but yep. so what she wore an eye patch, you know, and, and just huge respect for that really. And Dreams really is, is a track. I mean, it was huge for a long time. Um, and in fact, originally, apparently when it was released, had a sample from Tracy Chapman's Fast Car. Oh, really? It. But unfortunately there were some legal reasons why they had to move that, <laughs> remove that. Um, but you know, Gabrielle's one of these female singer songwriters, lyricists, again, who kind of it's been lost in the midst of time in the sense of you know, she was multi platinum, mm-hmm. you know, she had Brit Awards, you know, she did a huge amount in a short period of time and then just disappeared, really, you know. But uh, dreams, particularly for me, are, again, lyrically, just absolutely beautiful and. and you know, makes my skin vibrate, as as you said earlier. But just another incredibly authentic woman who wasn't conforming yeah. to the you know expectations of the time. Mm. Uh, here's one that I know: yeah. Amy Winehouse, "Love Is a Losing Game." So we're jumping forward a bit in terms of time here now. Quite honestly, I mean, Gabrielle um, released "Dreams" um, in '93, and now we're coming right forward into the 2000s with Winehouse, but. 
how can you not talk about British yeah. singer songwriters lyricists without including Amy Winehouse? Completely agree. I still mourn her loss, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Love is a losing game. I chose um, again because of that complete honesty and. One of the things that I think, with all the criticism of Amy, um, that you cannot fault her for is just complete honesty. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing about Amy Winehouse that was was anything but just completely transparent, authentic and honest. And you may choose not to like what she represented, but but you can't criticise her for for not being herself, you know, and a a, quite honestly a a tortured soul. Mm Mm-hmm. Very much so. And she lived that out both publicly and privately. And, and I think, you know, as as somebody who, you know, I was obviously later on in life than myself, um, and so not the, in my formative years as I was when I was discussing the other tracks earlier, but, but still, you know, watching a woman like that live, choose, I truly believe this, choose to live that out publicly. Yes. Offers a huge amount to others. Um, and singing. I mean, when you look, you look at some of the recordings of Amy singing live. Oh my God! I mean, it's just breathtakingly yeah. honest. Yes. I, I can't. There are some. There are some um, shows that she was on where you can hardly believe that she was being that honest in front of an audience and a set of cameras, mm-hmm. because it's like her emotions were. She was open. Completely yeah. open. You could literally read on her skin somehow the pain. Yeah, and in a in a sad way, I think that was her greatest gift. Is is that there was there was absolutely zero artifice. Yes. Zero, and as unsettling as that was to watch sometimes. Yeah. It was it was a gift. It was, and you think about you know the the, the point I was making earlier about how within the span of maybe two, three generations then, we'd gone from British female singers who were so manufactured, who were told how to stand, how to style their hair, how to dress, singing songs of nonsense and zero meaning. Now to Amy, who may as well have been naked emotionally in front of those audiences, pouring out the ugly, it wasn't just the good and the bad, but the ugly of love yeah you know and i think about you know my nieces who were sort of in their teenage years when amy was really at her height who were exposed to that level of honesty and emotional nakedness and i think about what that means for them as young women saying that's acceptable yeah that you know we don't need to put on lipstick and style our hair and 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 wear a dress in the way that you know probably for them their grandparents generation had to do and pretend everything was nice and normal and there was there was you know nothing wrong in the world exactly this was just sheer utter reality reality yeah unfiltered reality and i i've got to think that's got to be healthier yeah absolutely and but to your point hard to watch it was unsettling yeah i had seen clips of her you know falling down uh-huh. on stage she was you know she was intoxicated but mm. you, you you just got that pain from her yeah. you know you knew that she was troubled and unfortunately you knew that that no good was going to come of it and it was sad to watch it yeah. was tragic it was truly tragic it was yeah it was the it was the falling apart of a human being yeah but again and just beautiful honesty mm-hmm. in that 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 i can only hope that the legacy of us all bearing witness to that helped others yeah talk about their emotions in a way that two three generations before just would never have happened yeah and that's that's one of the joys that i think the gifts that music gives absolutely it's legitimacy yeah yeah to to emotion yeah And, and i think that's one of the things that gives me so much joy in music is the legitimacy of emotion really that others feel the same way that we can talk about these things absolutely yes and in essence i want this podcast to be about that right about you know digging into that and 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 turning over rocks and really having a good hard look at that yeah that's what i'd strove to to do with the books and and yes you do and it's you know i've chosen to take a path in this podcast with you which is (laughs) focusing on you know love and you know the hard emotions but mm-hmm. there's so many 
positive, happy emotions that come from music too. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely. not it's not always the no, hard stuff. No, exactly. But it's it's you know, and I think depending on where we are and what we need, certainly for me anyway, I'm drawn to music that will either feed the emotion, the dominant emotion at a time, or I'm drawn to music that will kind of correct me back to a better equilibrium. Yeah. Out of an emotion that I prefer not to stay in if that mm-hmm. makes any sense so Absolutely. you know i i I, ch- I mostly choose what i listen to purposefully in that way really yeah depending on the mood that you're in yeah 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 and where i want to go with my mood yes knowing that music for me is a huge huge influencer of mood mm-hmm. i can literally you know sort of, sort of do a 180 degree spin by listening to the right music yeah absolutely so that's why, and I, I think I told you this before, is that I, I have a theory that you shouldn't listen to Van Halen in the morning or ACDC in the morning. You shouldn't listen to Joni Mitchell at night. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I, it's, that is right? so true. I mean, I think we all have our own versions of that, you know. And I, I literally have tracks within my uh, music collection that kind of come with a health warning attached to them. <laughs> <laughs> Which... Which literally are marked because I know I'll need to I'll need to be in a really good yes. place to better handle them. Yeah, for sure. But you know, and maybe I should take the the opposite position as well. Mark the ones that are really good pick me ups when I need it. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. sadly, I don't know what that says about me, but I don't <laughs> I don't seem to have marked those tracks in that way. But it's more the kind of stay away health warning ones that, uh, because of the depth of emotion that they create. Yes. And those are the songs that have your number emotionally. Totally. And that speaks to the power mm-hmm. of music. Yeah. And um, for my my dad's funeral, um, mm-hmm. I chose a track for that. And for three years after the funeral, I could not listen to it. Yeah. And then was driving in the car one day and randomly, because it's, it's not a popular track, mm-hmm. it, it came on the stereo. Okay. I literally had to pull off the road. Yeah. yeah. Even though I hadn't heard it in three years, needless to say, attached to an event like that, it's more likely to cause deep emotion. But, you know, that it just fascinates me that yeah. music can affect you that way. It absolutely can. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm equally fascinated by that. So speaking of which, the next track. Yes, the next track is Make You Feel My Love by Adele. Yeah, and again, like Winehouse, you know, for those of, you know, the younger generation now who are growing up listening to that incredible woman. Yeah. I just think about, again, the next evolution of the story of the British singer-songwriter, really. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is from her original, her debut album, 19. Yeah. Cunningly released when she was 19 actually I don't think she was I think she was 20 when it was released because obviously it takes a while to get these things out but um, written when she was 19 although sadly she has said she won't actually name any of her albums after her age going forward that that's all done now Mm. so I wonder where she's going to go next with that but anyway Make You Feel My Love I mean again just one of those tracks that I could listen to on repeat yeah because every time I hear it, it it just touches me um, she is, again, as I said earlier, Alison Moyer, I think, was the Adele of that. I, absolutely. The earlier generation. Adele herself, who was influenced by Winehouse, used to go and see Amy Winehouse perform. She, mm-hmm. When you watch any of um, any of the uh, programs that have been made about Adele and her influences, she'll always credit Amy. And certainly, you know, when you think about them stylistically, you can see the connectivity there. But it was the final single actually released from her debut album oh. um, in 2008. Um, and actually really didn't, it, it never made number one. It got as high as number four in the UK. Mm-hmm. But for me, my favorite, favorite track yeah. on her first album. Uh, mm. Just again, the authenticity of the emotion when she sings it. And, and, and there are a number of ways in which, you know, or, or options for, for watching her sing that live available online. But every time she sings it just I, I wonder that she can get through the song quite honestly yeah without breaking down yeah yeah totally I, I just and just the ability to get out in front of an audience and be that honest and authentic about your emotions and actually be able to perform 
But I, I, that's I what I love about her the most. Oh, I think I would too. But I love the fact that she makes no, you know, she, she tears that concept down. She'll say, look, like I might have a heart. I might cry during this. Yes. Right? And yeah. maybe she does cry. Yeah. Like I just, she's so real. The yes. realness there and the transparency there yeah. with Adele. She is she is the anti-rock star, the anti-performer, whatever yeah. it is, right? Yeah. She is with you. Yeah. I have a total girl crush on her. I mean, she's just, there's so many examples of that. There was, she did the carpool karaoke with James yeah, Corden. Yeah, right. And and she's she gets in the car, I and mean, I'm sure it's slightly manufactured, but she gets in the car with a mug of tea yeah. because we're British women. We have to have a mug of tea. <laughs> so she gets in the car with a mug of tea, and she, they're driving driving along, and and, and um, somehow I think he might break hard, and she slops a bit of the tea on her new coat. So we hear all about the fact that she got a new coat out of the budget, and she's really excited about that, which is just so real in itself. The fact she even said that. Yeah. But then she realizes obviously having this cup of tea is is a bit of a hazard, so she literally downs this mug of tea. It's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, and you just think there was no artifice to that at no. all. It was you know she had a mug of probably PG tips, I expect. Credit to Unilever. Um, but just mug of tea that she just downs, and then literally. I think she always throws the mug, the empty mug, in the back seat of his Range Rover. But yeah. the, there's just that, and the time that she kicks her shoes off, you know, when she's performing, because frankly, her feet hurt. Yeah. You know, and her stylist yeah. has obviously told her she needs to wear a heel, and she doesn't want to, so she kicks them off. I mean, just even when she was at Glastonbury, you know, she yep. closed Glastonbury, and you know, again, I can't say it for the protecting the integrity of your your podcast, but <laughs> you know, she comes out on stage and she just talks like it is exactly. You know. I, yeah. It's just this, it's just you've got to admire that. I want the young generation of women watching and listening to these British singer songwriters to just understand that there's power in that authenticity, in that, in just being yourself. Yes. That people will just gravitate to you. Yeah, yeah. I think that message is is more welcomed and 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 more easily received now it seems because you know in the 80s that would have never flown but you see people like adele and during the grammys the george michael tribute yes she started the song over again yeah yeah but it was okay exactly she wasn't laughed off the stage she wasn't ridiculed it was like that's adele yeah she did the right thing yeah she stopped and she said right let's start again yeah because she wanted to pay him because she was passionate about it exactly it wasn't just a a, an empty performance no indeed and it certainly was and you know piped into her ear you know and she was actually performing live this was yeah. not Millie Vanilli this was this was Adele performing yeah. live you know and she was off pitch and she admitted that I mean I just love that see I you know when I watch that I love that I celebrate stuff yeah, like that because that's real yeah and I wonder <laughs> it's bad to say but I wondered if other people at the Grammys and I won't name them yeah. were watching it going oh my god I'm sure they were <laughs> I am sure they were because I mean that's the other thing that I think about this group of women that I I another reason why I'm really drawn to them is because none of the, none of them were had any desire to be perceived as perfect mm-hmm. whatever that means I don't even know what that means but do you know what I mean there was just yeah. the we're quirky and we're different and and actually we're just who we are so yeah. if we mess up on stage we mess up on stage it doesn't mean we're any less capable you know an artist than the people that come out and you know and have it piped into their ear and are pitch perfect every time as a result and yeah never stumble in their heels and you know it just i i don't i'm not interested in that no I'm much more interested, I'm much more impacted, I feel much more mm-hmm. when I hear somebody who is is just real. Yeah. And for me, that goes back to, you know, the Rolling Stones, those records they did, like Exile on Main Street, when you could hear Mick Jagger's voice crack. Yes. And he said, leave that in. Exactly. Because it adds to the legitimacy of the experience. Exactly. And I think, right? it, it, I think it comes back to the fact that there's quite honestly nothing like live music. Yeah. No matter how you know beautifully captured it might be on vinyl cd digitally now you know you think about the reaction people had to even when we moved from the first you know move from vinyl to cd and the fact that people said it was it was almost too clean a sound yeah you know uh, there's something that we all need about music that is just needs to be real and authentic and mm-hmm. and i think this over manufacturing of image and 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 the music itself Something's lost. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think in that, partly what is lost is the emotion. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you start to 
manufacture anything to perfection again whatever that means part of the emotion goes out of it just naturally it, it, it homogenizes it totally you know it's a formula it sterilizes again. it yeah it really does i'm not interested in that no and i'm not interested in people who, who want to represent that mm-hmm. agree and that is a good segue into your last song yeah bring on this my mind really up to date i mean mm-hmm. Ellie Golding, I'm fascinated by. I mean, she is a young woman, you know, the early stages of her career, quite honestly. And On My Mind was released in 15. And I think she's got a long way to go. Again, a young woman who's saying, this is me, this is my music. I mean, it's pop and ashamedly so. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. But but when when you sort of maybe leave that aside and listen to some of the, the lyrics um, and the honesty of them. And in fact, the, there's there's some commentary that actually she wrote this as an answer song to an Eddie Sheeran, oh, Ed really? Sheeran track, Don't. Okay. Because there was some connectivity, shall we just put it that way, between the two of them <laughs> around right. this time. <laughs> connectivity. Yeah, connectivity. Okay. Um, but a powerful young woman writing her own lyrics in pop as i said unashamedly but again i just like what she stands for i like what she stands for in the sense that although one could possibly argue she probably is the most manufactured of the lot that we've talked about in the podcast um she is holding on firmly to her control of her music Mm -hmm. when you listen to her talk about her music when you hear her interviewed you know when you really look at the music she's written herself i just wanted her at the end really because to talk about the continuum of the list that i've shared mm-hmm. in the podcast you think back to where we began with kirsty mccall yeah to my mind in some ways ellie golding is this century is this decades kirsty mccall in that she's forging her own path mm. unashamedly so um and again, you know, very different perspectives on music and how, you know, the kind of genre of music that they represent. But I could see, you know, Ellie's persona not dissimilar to Kirsty McColl's, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to end with her because it gives me heart that we're producing a, a generation again of British female singer-songwriters who are in control of their image, in control of their music, in control of the way they're making people feel. Yeah. And not selling out. Mm-hmm. And not allowing that to be diluted. You know, and let's face it, Golden's written tracks for for movies as well. So one could argue that, you know, that, that in itself is a, a representation or manifestation of the engine, the machine that is the music business. But if you can get past that and really listen to her work, again, she's somebody that... I would be very happy for my daughter's generation to be listening to and, and to be watching and observing as a, a role model. As I said, you know, when I look back to Kirsty and Alison and those that were my role models in my formative years, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd be happy to buy Ellie Golding's music from my girl and, and her friends to yeah. listen to. Yeah, yeah, very good. And I think that she actually is very public about um she's she suffers from an anxiety disorder yeah. she not yeah she does so again i mean that realism is there and it's not you know there's no lip gloss on fabrication that. of no no yeah. there really isn't there really isn't just a, just a, a if i may and believe me he didn't <laughs> tell me to do this folks but when you think about the title of your most recent book yeah yeah <laughs> true isn't it the best people are broken your favorite people are broken i mean there's just something truly authentic about that that just makes you feel and that the purest most organic product comes from that yes it really does of course it does because how can it come from you know the perfectly produced it it, there's there's nothing that can come from that that will teach us anything completely agree and i think you know given you know my professional passion life is about learning and education you know i think maybe that's another reason that's just coming to mind now Mm -hmm. why this playlist really matters to me is i learned something from each and every one of these women Mm -hmm. about how to feel yeah i think you've done an excellent job here this is a fantastic representation of these women and i love the message Uh, i love the concept and 
Well done, Rachel. This is fantastic. Thank you. It yeah. was fun doing it. As I said, I stayed up very late, several <laughs> nights working on this because because you know again you know you get sucked into the to the exercise and just the joy of going back and listening to music that you honestly deliberately haven't listened to for yeah, a very very long time. Yeah. And and Apple and iTunes should be very grateful to you for the the boost to their. <laughs> to their revenues for 2017 that that therefore you know that drove um, gonna, in terms of my um itunes account i'm gonna have to reach out to them and talk about <laughs> it maybe doing a deal i think you should <laughs> you know a lot of people when they come on the show they say i, I really enjoyed um like the exploration you're right this. You know, yeah yeah the, the time that it's like going through and coming up with these songs and going back and and second guessing mm-hmm. you know you don't you don't want to over kind of over sanitize yeah you know and i can see that for sure you want to go where your skin vibrates the most first yeah but no it was just the joy of coming back and adding to it and then deleting from it and just the opportunity to go back and revisit the time period particularly the early stuff you know i had lots of laughs and was you know describing to to people you know where i was and what i would have been doing while that certain track was playing i mean let alone what I was probably wearing at the time and the hairstyle <laughs> I was I was taking out around town. But yeah, it's um, it's and that's another thing that I think in terms of music and the way it makes you feel. It's such a connection in time mm. and a certain point in your life. Yeah, you can literally be back there. It's like you, the Throwback Thursday equivalent, you know, yeah. on Facebook. You know, it's yeah. that musical throwback that literally happens the moment you hear the opening bar of a track yeah it's viscerally this close to being magic totally it's like time travel yeah it's totally like time travel yeah you know you can connect even with the emotions you know and that was what was the funny thing for me about doing this given i was forcing myself back into my teenage years and let's be honest emotions in your teenage years are not always that enjoyable you know (laughs) there was a lot of laughter now with the perspective of a few years since then to think about how that made me feel at the time and Mm -hmm. wish i could go back and give myself some kind of solve that things were going to get better (laughs) but then you know that's part of the learning too so yeah thank you to the female singer songwriters that got me through those years and the ones that get me through these years Mm -hmm. now well done well Thank done. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you for being on the show, Rachel. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. My pleasure. This has been Brent Jensen and No Sleep Till Sudbury. Till next time, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.